Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And I'm really excited today because I'm with Dr. David Smith, who is Professor of Education and Director of the Kyers Institute for Christian Teaching and Learning at Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He also serves as editor of the International Journal of Christianity and Education. But before all of that, he was a teacher of French, German, and Russian in secondary schools for a number of years. And then he did his ongoing education. He's written a lot about education, philosophy of education. I've read all of his books, I think. I love his work. I love talking with him. I love sitting around the dinner table and having conversations with them. So, David, it's great to be with you. Thanks for joining me in this. But I had the opportunity, and you invited me into your work, and, and that was a real honor. Um, it was special for me, and I learned a ton through that process. And you were doing a project on civic hospitality, and, and, and I'll share that link with the, the listeners as we go. But two questions for you to kind of get us rolling is, like, the framework for hospitality, how did you get to a place of thinking about hospitality in education, in the classroom, in what we do in our work, but then why connect it and how did you get to the place of connecting it with civics? Yeah, well, uh, first, thanks for the invitation. I'm glad to be part of the conversation here. And uh, um, so, so yeah, um, hospitality. Uh, this came about early in my teaching career when um, I became a teacher uh, I became, as you said, I became a language teacher. I was teaching several languages in in secondary schools in England. And um, one of the things that kind of crept up on me as I started seeing what was happening in my own classroom and the textbooks I've been given to use and the ways I've been taught to teach was that an awful lot of the way we taught languages was incredibly self-centered, like structurally self-centered. We spent a lot of time in the language classroom practicing how to say, this is my name, this is where I live, this is my brother, this is my sister, this is my house, these are my hobbies, this is my favorite movie, this is my favorite school subject, this is my favorite film, um, etc. right? And, 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 and this is what I did at the weekend, this is what I'm gonna do next weekend, I would like two train tickets to Hamburg, I would like the steak and fries. Um, yeah, and, and every every language textbook I used had half a chap chapter set aside on how to complain, um, usually connected with the restaurant and the hotel, like how to send your food back if it wasn't right and how to get your room fixed. Um, none of the textbooks that I used had a chapter set aside on how to encourage someone or how to console someone. And it just started to seem like the implicit message of our language curriculum. And, and this was just intuitive to start with. And I, I you know, I found research that uh, that might support the idea later. But a lot of our language curriculum seemed built around an ethos where the reason I was learning a language was so that I could bless more of the world with my opinion and get foreigners to give me things while I was traveling. Um, and that just seemed like a really thin reason to be learning languages. And, and at the same time as this, I became a, a teacher shortly after I became a Christian from a from a totally non-Christian background. And so I was also at that time trying to put those things together. And I was in conversations with various people, especially a, a former colleague at Calvin University, Barbara Carville. And as we were talking about this, um, I don't know, the book of Leviticus doesn't seem like a likely source for ideas about the classroom. But um, but there's a chapter in Leviticus where where it first says, love your neighbor as yourself, which is where Jesus got it from. He didn't make it up. Right. He was riffing on Leviticus. And um, and then a few verses later, it says, love the foreigner as yourself. So there's like there's basically two places in in the Hebrew scriptures where it says, love someone as yourself. And they're both in Leviticus 19 and they get echoed all kinds of other places. 
And the first one says, love your neighbor as yourself, which is really familiar to everybody. And the second one says, love the foreigner as yourself. So that really just planted this really basic thought of like, what if the actual reason why we teach languages in schools, because it's expensive and it takes a lot of effort. And most of the students who learn languages don't go get jobs as interpreters. It's like, why are we doing this? Well, maybe the basic reason we're doing this is because there are other human beings who speak them. Um, and that those other human beings are as important, as valuable, as valid as we are. And the way they speak is as important, as valuable, as valid as we are. And we can't hear them right now. Um, so it's not just about learning to say more things. It's also about increasing the number of people you can pay attention to, you can listen to well. And so that just started this seed thought. What if what if language learning is actually about hospitality? What if it's, it's about opening up, opening up a little space in your life to welcome in some human beings who didn't grow up the way you grew up, who didn't learn to speak the way you speak, think the way you think, eat the way you eat, um, and you just make a little space in the curriculum to say, we're going to learn to listen to some other kinds of human beings. Um, and that that's a really basic human skill, uh, right? If neighbors are important, if you're supposed to love your neighbor, well, it turns out most of your neighbors don't speak your language. Uh, most of your neighbors think a little differently. Most of your neighbors aren't quite the model that that, that you came out as. Um, so that was really just the seed thought. Well, that, that sort of set me off on a whole trajectory because then, of course, I start finding that you know, there's a whole there's a whole history of literature on hospitality in in philosophy, in philosophy of education, in theology, teasing out the different things it can mean. Because um, there's this very cultural idea of hospitality where it's about like Martha Stewart variety, like putting on this beautiful meal to impress other people about what a great house I have and what an incredible taste in decor I have. So, so that doesn't seem like quite the right model um, here where, where it's still, again, it's still essentially egocentric, right? It's about, it's about impressing other people with what a great host I am. Um, or there's this recurring idea historically of like hospitality as networking. So, you know, I invite the boss round because that's going to help me get the next promotion. And again, that doesn't seem like quite the right version. So how do you dig down to this, basically this ethical model of hospitality? where hospitality is because other people have value. And, and again, you know, Jesus talks about this in the New Testament. He says, invite people that can't invite you back, right? Um, so you're not in this just for your own benefit. It's, it's, a, it's a form of ethical attention to others. Um, and so I started getting into that, started thinking about that, wrote a couple of books about that. What happens if we think about language learning or if we think about intercultural learning using a framework of hospitality rather than using a framework of what can this get for me? um either career wise or travel wise or whatever but but you know we learn languages and we learn cultures fundamentally because other people matter um and that started that led me into all kinds of changes to my language curriculum i started finding this made this made a really concrete difference to what pictures i used what stories i told what kind of learning act you know i can't i can't talk to my students about it's all about hospitality to strangers and then spend most of my time in class doing shopping dialogues um, so it changed the actual structure of what I was doing in the classroom. So I found it very fruitful in terms of rethinking what I was doing in my language class. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pause there in case you want to push me further on any of that before we get into the, um, the civics connection. But, you know, that, that's, uh, that was how I started thinking about hospitality. It just seemed like this useful frame for becoming less of a jerk as a language teacher. Um, <laughs> well, it, and it is. It's so so true. I I don't think we always recognize, right? Because it's we just do, right? It's just we we don't always recognize 
the the and essentially and i i was i came across this again recently while i was in a school is like uh, the egocentric nature of what we've created and so then how do we how do we push that out how do we disperse that how do we receive and welcome in and and i think one of the things that's interesting about what you said is just how do we go into space how do we invite people in who can't invite us back but then how do we go into spaces i think part of hospitality that you've taught me too is moving into spaces where maybe you don't necessarily belong, but then to enter into that space in a different way than making yourself known and then just, you know, being, um, how do you, how do you, uh, before we go into the civics, because I think that's an important part of the civics part of it too, right. Is, 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 is stepping into someone else's space as well. Right. Right. So, yeah, I always think here of, I remember once I was in Germany and, uh, uh, was part of a little group that was checking in on um, international students who just arrived at Marburg University. And um, uh, and we knocked on this one door and there's a Korean guy who's like just arrived in Germany. He's in this like university accommodation room. He's, he's got nothing there. Like his luggage hasn't arrived yet. Like there's literally nothing. Like there's a Korean person on four walls. Um, and, 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 the the only thing he's got is the capacity to make coffee, right? He's he's got essentially nothing else, and he was just eager to make us a cup of coffee because that was the only way that he could exert his agency as having a space to welcome us into. And I hate coffee. I I I just I cannot stand the taste of coffee. So this is the only cup of coffee in my life that I have drunk to the end, right? Because it was just so clear that even though we had a lot of resources and he had very few resources in that moment he had this this moral need to offer hospitality to us so that he could be a good person in the circumstances right so that so that he could be a person who had some agency who was able to say yes i'm worth something too and and i can welcome you into my space here and i'm not just this needy you know um thing that you need to give stuff to right that that i'm a person too that i think the you know the concrete way that he could say i'm a person too was to offer us a cup of coffee and and I sort of recognized that in the moment. And I, I you know, as cheerfully as I was able, you know, sort of <laughs> dragged my way to the bottom of this, uh, um, this cup of coffee. And I think there's something important in there that, you know, part of the structure of hospitality as well, especially if you're going to try to think about this ethically, is that you don't get to be the host all the time. Um, that that that's just another way of bending it to our own will, because basically, as long as I'm as long as I always think of myself as the host, then it's easy for me to think of the guest as this sort of poor peripheral marginal person that I need to have pity on. And then suddenly I'm the superior person again, right? You know, I'm the, uh, I'm, I'm the person in charge. Um, so yeah, another way I try to help students in language classes think about this is to say, you know, part of hospitality is sometimes you get to be the host and then you've got to learn how to make space. You've got to learn how to listen, right? If you prepare a good meal, but you don't listen well to people's stories, you're not a good host. Um, so you've got to learn how to slow down, to pay attention, not to trust your first judgments, to all those things. But there's also a ton of time where you're going to be a guest. You're you're going to be in somebody else's space. And then you don't get to call the shots and you don't get to say, no, you're doing it wrong. And you don't get to, not right away anyway, that can come out later in conversation, right? But but your first move has got to be, this is somebody else's space, right? And 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 I've got to start, I've got to have my eyes wide open, my ears wide open. And I've got to then I've still got to make space, but I've got to make space for the other person to be an agent who can care for me. And that might mean I need to climb down and humble myself to drink a cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's so great. It's such a great reflection too, right? Especially since I know you're, you you don't like coffee. So it's yeah. a great story, great perspective. 
and there there is that place where it's like where do we enter in and participate in someone else's life right so so how did this kind of idea and these conversations um kind of kind of work their way into this idea of hospitality in civics yeah and then especially in this kind of idea of can we have an impact in how we teach and the pedagogy in particular of our civics classrooms yeah so the civics connection uh, i mean that that was sort of really outside my wheelhouse um and and it it was one of these sort of one thing led to another kind of things so a little over a decade ago, um, the Kaiser Institute, where I work, we got together a number of experienced curriculum developers from the US, the UK and Australia. And we sort of locked them in a room for three weeks and we came up with a project called What If Learning. Um, and we created a website called whatiflearning.com. And um, the, the basic idea behind this was to help teachers to figure out how their fundamental beliefs related to their pedagogy. And we developed a model for thinking about that. Um, and we were thinking about this in the context of Christian schools, but um, we're also really just trying to trying to make this this create a context for people to think well about if I have these beliefs about ethics, if I have these beliefs about formation, if I have these beliefs about human beings and so on, if I believe in faith, hope and love at a really basic level, um, how does that translate into into pedagogy? Right. Does that just mean you wave Bible verses in classrooms? Right. Or you preach to people. Or other ways in which your belief system and your value system can responsibly inform the pedagogical choices you make in the classroom. So, so that's what that project was all about. It was across the whole curriculum, and we worked on that model, and we then did some research on how it was working, and there was some articles and books came out of it, and it was a, you know, took up some of our time for a, for a few years, and uh, um, and then out of that came another project that was funded by the uh, the Templeton Foundation called Teach Fastly, that was specifically about science and religion. Um, and about what happens in science teachers, uh, science classrooms and religious education classrooms, about the way each teaches about the other. And we created another resource, teachfastly.com, that, that's got a couple of hundred lesson plans on it for addressing that. And so, so we kind of built up this track record of trying to think about how, um, how faith and ethics relate to teaching models and how to work that out in particular curriculum areas. Um, so out of that, uh, Kevin Dendulk, who at that time was the director of the Henry Institute uh, at Calvin University, which is focused on the relationship between Christianity and politics. Um, and, and I'm relying on my memory, given the vagaries of human memory, Kevin, of course, might tell the story slightly differently to the way I do. But uh, uh, my recollection of what happened is that uh, we had a conversation one day um, at the Kaiser Institute where Kevin basically came and said, um, I think we could do this for civics. Um, and uh, so the stuff that we've done with What If Learning, with Teach Fastly, with Science and Religion and so on, there's a need for something like this for civics. And you've already built a couple of these. You know, could we build another resource like this, but for the civics classroom? And the sense of need was the suspicion that um, there might be too many civics classrooms that were focusing too much either just on... Um, like procedural matters. So like, you know, how many senators do we have? How does the voting system work? Um, you know, et cetera, right? Sort of understanding the nuts and bolts of how the system works uh, on the one hand, um, or in some kinds of schools, including some kinds of Christian schools, um, uh, more of a kind of a, like, here's how to be a good Republican or a good Democrat kind of, like like a more skewed sort of, um, like a particular vision of, um, political vision of things. And what we were really interested in was, was if you take the hospitality idea and if you take this idea of faith affecting pedagogy, 
what would it look like to design a civics curriculum that actually asks what kind of dispositions do you need to live well with other human beings who are not the same as you? So it's not enough to understand how the system works and it's not enough to have some political opinions because sooner or later you're going to run into people who deeply disagree with you. Um, and it's just increasingly apparent in our present social setting that sooner or later means like five minutes from now. Um, like the next time you go online, <laughs> you know, the next time you you walk into the supermarket, you'll be among people who are deeply different from you um, and, and who might even be hostile about that. Uh, so what kind of human being do you need to become in order to successfully live in that kind of environment and not contribute to its toxicity, um, not, not contribute to the harms that are being done? And, and that seems like it requires more than understanding. It seems like it requires more than knowing a certain kind of history of the United States or knowing how civic systems work. It seems like you need to develop some character qualities. And what would that look like in a, in a, in a civics classroom? Like, how would you even teach for that? So that was really the, you know, the seed question behind the project was, was really a conversation between Kevin and myself. And of course, Kevin was coming at this from the political science background. He brought the interest in civics. Um, and so when I signed up for this, I was like, you know, this is on condition that, that we stipulate that I know nothing about civics. Um, and uh, but but I'm, I'm the pedagogy person. Right. I, I, I work on teaching and learning projects and uh, the Henry Institute would bring the uh, the political science savvy uh, to the project. And then we'd recruit people who might actually know what they were doing in a civic classroom like yourself. Um, so, so that was kind of how the how the initial project was put together. Well, and it's interesting, like, you know, because you're right, you know, and especially as a as a young civics teacher, you know, there was this real emphasis on like, what do you know, right? What do you yeah. know? We got to pass the Constitution test. We got to pass, you know, as, as especially when I was in um, a public school outside of Chicago was, what do you know? And then there is this place of, I think you're right, in a lot of ways, which shifted, you know, over the last, you know, decade, you know, maybe more, but the last decade in particular is, what do you believe, right? And so I, I think it even went, went you know, we, we lost a lot, like even just knowledge, right, of what the yeah. system is or the different systems or how they work to, you know, what, what you believe is more important and really what you believe you know, uh, uh, on this political spectrum idea. And what you're tr really trying to get at is, is how do we, how do we dispositionally, if, if I, if I, if I understand this correctly, how do we dispositionally take what, what we know and what we believe and step into a space where, you know what, we can know better and we can know, and then we can have conversations about what we believe in a way that, that, allows us to be better together i mean is is that is that a bad summary or is that yeah no that's that's good because uh, you know and the way you put it that way makes me want to emphasize that this is not about setting aside the need to understand the system right and to know things right nor is it about setting aside arriving at some convictions and articulating them but but of course the you know the gap here is you can understand really well how the system works and you can have some pretty strongly felt held beliefs, beliefs, and you can still be a toxic participant in society right? because, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, violent people tend to have beliefs and a certain knowledge how to get things done. Right. <laughs> it's sort of like that. That's that. That's not exclusively the preserve of those that are helping. So. Um, so how do you take a step beyond that? And, and so, again, the seed thought here was, would it help? Because, you know, there's a tradition in liberal democratic um, contexts of thinking that the, the key capacity we need here is tolerance, right? That, that you, you know, like you, you're stuck together with people who voted for the wrong party. Um, you're stuck together with people who've got a religion you, you, you despise. 
whatever it is, right? You know, you're stuck together with people who use leaf blowers in the fall. Um, and, um, and, and so you need to develop tolerance, right? You've got to learn to like, to, you know, to not shoot them right away, but just, uh, um, you know, just kind of put up with them, right? It's uh, just accept the fact that you, you don't get to clear out everybody who doesn't fit your profile. Um, and, and, you know, that that's clearly important and valuable as far as it goes. But the problem with tolerance as an overarching concept is it, it requires me to put up with you, but it doesn't require me to care for you in any way. And it doesn't require me to actually invest in your well-being in any way. Um, so, you know, you could wither and die in the house next door and I've got no responsibility for you if all I'm supposed to do is tolerate you. Um, if, if all I'm supposed to do is not intervene. Um, so people have written about this and sort of said, you know, one of the problems with tolerance as a framework is it doesn't give us any reason to try to make things better. Um, it doesn't it doesn't give us a reason to act. It doesn't give us a reason to intervene. Um, there's, there's no motivation in the idea of tolerance to actually try to improve my community. Um, all I've got to do is withdraw within my within my house and turn the stereo up. Right. And, uh, you know, that'll be enough to, to satisfy tolerance. So hospitality requires that even though you're really different from me, I'm actually responsible for your well-being in some way. Um, I don't have to become you. I don't have to agree with you, right? To invite you around for dinner. I don't have to share all of your views. I don't have to share your ethnicity. I don't have to share your beliefs, but I do have to care for you. I do have to not serve you poison. I do have to prepare a meal that you might like. I do have to engage in conversation with you. I do have to listen enough to, to make this a good evening. Um, so there's something baked into the idea of hospitality that still says, you've got to learn to live with strangers, um, but it pushes you a bit further towards, but you're also responsible for their well-being, even the ones you don't like, even the ones you disagree with. Um, so that seemed like a more powerful framework for, for trying to think about what kind of teaching we were looking for. Um, and then one more thing I'll throw in here, just really in your earlier question about how we started connecting, connecting this to pedagogy. There's a story I've told often in the last few years. Um, you know, I teach at a Christian university and, and one of my students had a conversation with a few years ago. She said to me, she said, last semester, one or two of my professors started the semester by talking about what kind of community we were. And, and they said, you're part of a Christian learning community. That means that each of you is valuable. Each of you matters. Right. Each of you has gifts to bring. And so it's really important for you to come to class every day. And she said, uh, the student said, I, I found this kind of inspiring, right? I hadn't, I hadn't like seen this before as a way of starting class. Like usually the first day of class is like, here's the syllabus and the exam happens on this day and the essay is due on this day and so on. Um, this class started by talking about what kind of community we were. I thought it was quite inspiring. And then she paused and she put her head on one side and she said, you know, it took me two or three weeks to figure out that it wasn't really true. Because the way the class was taught, it made zero difference whether I showed up or not. The exams were based on repeating what the professor said. As long as I copied down a good set of notes or borrowed them from somebody, I didn't even need to be in class and I could get A's on the exams. Um, so in the end, it was just pious talk, right? It didn't actually affect the way we did things. And so that, that then becomes the next necessary step. If you want to start talking about hospitality as a framework for learning, like I said, in my language classroom, I can't talk about hospitality and then actually spend all my time in class doing shopping dialogues without appearing to be incompetent or stupid or both. Um, likewise, in the civics classroom, as soon as we want to start talking about civic hospitality, you've then got to start thinking about the implications for how you actually structure interactions in the classroom. You know, if, if one person stands at the front and talks for an hour, that's not hospitality, right? So, um, so immediately it puts pressure on your pedagogy and you have to start thinking through what this is going to look like in terms of process, not just adding lectures about hospitality to your civics curriculum. So that became the real big challenge there because that's a much more complex problem to solve. 
No, it's so, it's so interesting you tell that story because I had I went to a Christian university too, and I had that same experience in an education class where we started with like this focus on community and the classroom and well-being, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then I remember showing up to take the final exam, and the professor says, "Hey, it's great to see you finally this semester." And I, I'm like, "What do you mean?" And he, he says to me, "He's like." He's like, well, you're here first day and you're here last day. That's great. And I'm like, I haven't missed a class all semester. Right. And that's a little bit of where I yep. was at as a student. But it's yep. also that reflection in that story, too. And really the push. So I'm going to I'm I'm doing a follow up podcast with the teachers who are part of this project. So we'll yep. talk about like yep. what their encouragements are, what they discovered and what they would tell teachers on how to use this and how to how to work this out, you know, and, and all those types of things. But the last question for you is, is in this, what's a reflection that you discovered along this journey um, of saying, hey, you know what, civics was not this natural place for yeah. me to enter into. And yeah. it's, you know, kind of this civics classroom and, and really a focus in on pedagogy, even more so than probably curriculum yeah. is, is what's a reflection for you that you discovered in this journey? Yeah, there's there's a few things that I marvel over. I, I marvel that we just got it done, right? Because we we started this project right as the pandemic hit, right? It was like it was the you know uh, the most amazing conceivable timing for trying to start a big curriculum project, right? And 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 the immediate challenge that created when we've done these projects before, right? We we do a national trawl, we write to school principals, we try to find you know because we're looking for really good creative teachers who aren't just going to give us what they did the last two semesters, and you know can actually dig in and try to think well about reshaping some things so so we so we try to do due diligence in figuring out who those teachers are going to be so when we did the science project we started with a pool of like 40 highly recommended teachers and then we had a, a selection process and a winnowing process uh to get down to the dozen who were part of our uh, our team so of course the pandemic hits and everybody is working 150 percent trying to figure out how zoom works and 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 trying to not get sick and trying to figure out how to teach you know kids online and all the rest of it and we just talked to a lot of really good people who just had no bandwidth um so i'm, I'm really happy with the team we ended up with we ended up with an amazing team it was also a really small team um and um uh so even the fact that we just actually got this done while dealing with everything else for the last three years is still kind of a kind of a miracle to me. Um, so um, uh, I, I, I guess I learned that uh, that, you know, you find the right people and they can be tenacious, too. So <laughs> it's uh, um, and then another surprise to me at the end of the project was I thought of all the projects that we've done, that this would be the one that would only work in America. Uh, because civics is so specific, right? You know, the American civic system is not the same as the Canadian system, even let alone the British one or the German one or the Norwegian one or whatever, or the Ugandan one, you know, et cetera. Um, but in the end, what we came up with, you know, there's some things that are specific to the American electoral system um, and American forms of civic participation, but there's actually quite a lot in there that works in a lot of places. And I'm already in conversation with teachers in Australia and the UK and uh, a few other places about where, how this might, you know, relate to their context and how they might be able to use it. So I, I guess that, that was another thing that, that sort of opened my mind a little bit to thinking like even civics, which seems like a really local curriculum area, there are some really good international conversations to be had about how we approach these really fundamental questions about how to shape students for the public space and how to help them grow into those roles. Um, and I guess also in that, I discovered that, that maybe there were points of contact between things I've been thinking about in the language classroom um, and in other classrooms and the civics classroom, that it wasn't this totally unique thing. 
Um, so I guess my big takeaway out of those thoughts is that um, it's really fruitful for people who are working in an area like civics to not just think this is its own specific thing with its own syllabus and so on, but to be in dialogue with teachers who are trying to solve the same issues in pedagogy and formation across other curriculum areas. Um, because then you start getting ideas that aren't the way you are used to doing things in the civics classroom, but they might have worked in an English classroom or in a language classroom or something, and you start to get a more fertile brew of things to things to work with. Because I was I was really pleased with what people came up with um, as we discussed this, and um, and yeah, there were just overlaps with other areas areas we've worked on that I think were quite fruitful. So. So, so I guess my, one of my reflections is civics is not an island. Um, and I think there's sometimes a tendency with subjects like civics to think of them as this special thing that's not quite the same as math and English and science and so on, um, that some specialist does who knows about that stuff. Uh, and I, I, I think, you know, pedagogy is pedagogy. And if, we, we, if we're trying to help students to live well, that happens across the curriculum. Well, and David, I, you know, thank you for for joining me. And just even just a reflection on my part, it's it's that idea that like I found even as a teacher of civics that, you know, people would say, I don't like politics. Well, this this goes way beyond politics, right? This right. goes it goes into a place that's much deeper, that is much more fulfilling just than the political nature of things yeah. that we yeah. can all be a part of. And, and I think the encouragement to, you know, as I went on my own journey, that's very reflective of where your heart is. It began to impact me when I became a school leader and even how I structured the school. Mm -hmm. And then even how we restructured something like student council to empower them. And then now that, you know, even over this project, I became a board chair at a school. And it, and even through this project, it gave me thought and, and like, how do we even structure our school board? How who is on the school board. And now we place students on the school board and, you know, students, you know, who lead student council. And so it's how do we expand the opportunity of who gets to be a part of, and then where do we step into those other spaces? And so David, one thing on my side of things, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for inviting me into this project. And um, where can people go for you to get connected or get more information? Uh, the project itself, civichospitality.com, um, is the uh, the first place to go. Um, the, there's uh, there's some about sections on there that have got links to some related projects. So if you go to the insights section and the about section, there are some links back out into some of the projects that I've mentioned. Um, uh, my own personal website where I put stuff I'm writing about is on, on christianteaching.com. Um, and uh, the Kaya's Institute is pedagogy.net. Um, so uh, that's, that's another place to go where many of these projects are linked. Uh, so yeah, civichospitality.com, pedagogy.net, onchristianteaching.com. Those those three will get you links to most of the others. Um, Great, and I'll put those in the in the 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 uh, podcast notes. But David, thank you, and enjoy your Thanksgiving coming up. Thank you. You too. It was a pleasure to be with you.